The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis as we are streaming live this Thursday night on July 17th, 2023. As uh, it's the all-star break. And well, it... It's the end of the All-Star break as activity picks up again for the Chicago White Sox as play resumes. It was an interesting All-Star game, an unlikely hero for the National League. Jim, the National League finally won an All-Star game. It's been like nine years. And I have to start off the show by congratulating you. Well done in the Home Run Derby draft. I had a very... Big lead early, but it was smart of you to figure that Luis Robert was going to hurt himself and Julio <laughs> Rodriguez was going to gas himself out uh, to be able to win. So congratulations to the home run derby draft. Yeah, winner. when yeah when Rodriguez hit, what, 41 in the first round, I thought like, <laughs> yeah. whoop, I completely miscalculated in terms of like thinking that he might uh, be a little bit too amped, but maybe he was. Maybe just manifested itself differently, not in the first round exit, but not getting... Not doing much in the last two, but yeah, uh, I'll I'll take it happily. Even though Alonzo, he didn't so much disappoint as his pitcher disappointed, and that's I think one of the biggest takeaways from this year was like realizing how important the batting practice pitcher is, both in terms of pace and location. And if you don't have pace, you better have location. And Alonzo's pitcher uh, had neither. No, I think it was the emergency pitcher for him too, because yeah. his original guy had throwing arm issues so he had to go to a backup so tommy johnson or peter alonzo yeah but mookie Betts was not a good pick for me uh that's a format that doesn't really work for him uh it's one and done probably for mookie Betts when it comes to the home run derby but from a white Sox fan perspective you know two highlights this week monday through wednesday louise robert put on a show during the home run derby yes he did suffer a right mild calf strain, but boy, Jim, the home runs that he was hitting on Monday were just mammoth shots, and ESPN, I don't think, during their broadcast, did a good job capturing just how far and how hard Luis Robert was hitting his home runs in the first round, and Liam Hendricks won an ESPY for his courageous fight 
against cancer. So at least on the good side for White Sox fans, you got Monday and you have Liam Hendricks' very inspirational speech on Wednesday to take home. Yeah. Uh, you're starting with Robert real quick. Just he was a victim of the format in, in terms of like, you know, now that's quantity more than quality. And they try to, you know, make the big homers count with the 30 seconds extra bonus time. But just in terms of tracking it, you really don't have the jaw dropping shots because like even Luis Sierra, who is his uh, batting practice pitcher, like already throwing the next pitch by the time, like his longest Homer was about to land. So, you know, he's not savoring it. Uh, the players, you don't get that kind of slack jawed uh, response from like the mammoth shots, which is what we used to see in the home run derby. I still think like the pitch clock, this format is superior just because like, I remember how much the previous home run derbies dragged and, and whether it's, you know, based on swings or outs, just, you know, waiting for their pitch over and over again. Uh, having this kind of format, especially with Rodriguez showing the merits of it, just cranking out homers and, and amping up the crowd with this, with the pace he was going like, there's a trade-off, you know, um, you know, that is certainly appreciated, but the, the distance homers takes a hit as far as Hendricks. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I, I think, you know, when it comes to this, um, you know, the cancer battle and him using this for good, bringing a lot of attention to organizations that have helped a lot of the organizations he's helped, uh, independent of cancer, stepping up to try to support him, like a lot of reciprocity in terms of goodwill with, uh, uh, people who do well in their various communities, all you know, stepping up to support him because he's done so much for them. So I guess my hope is, you know, with Hendricks, like this is a nice kind of, uh, you know, conclusion to the cancer storyline. Yeah, you know, I imagine he'll still do uh, wonders for you know various causes related to it. Now that he has personal experience, but just you know, from here you hope that he can get back on the field. He can get back past the elbow issue that had sidelined him and just even if he's not a closer, even the White Sox are playing for nothing, just getting back into shape for hopefully a healthy and full 2024. And we'll start thinking of him less as like this inspirational story, uh, even though he is, and more of a just, oh, this guy's a really good pitcher too. And we just haven't been able to see that because of everything his body's been through. Yeah, it'd be great to see Liam Hendricks before the end of the season just to get those reps in. And having a full, normal spring training for Liam Hendricks, I think, would do wonders as well as far as getting him ready for the 2024 season. But for the White Sox, with the All-Star break over and looking ahead, I joined our friends Dan Bernstein and Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score earlier today. We'll have the YouTube link as far as one of the segments uh, topics that we talked about in that particular show. And it was a question that Dan Bernstein asked me, Jim, now mm -hmm. that it's post all-star break. Now the game games are back on schedule. Is it time? Is it time for the white Sox to sell? And I think so. And I spent a lot of time on their show explaining why I think it is time for the white Sox to sell. So let me pose this question to you. Is it time for the White Sox to sell it? Is this what we're going to be paying attention to in the next couple of weeks? I think so. And the way they have arranged their rotation, you know, putting Giolito towards the back, like certainly indicates that there's an interest in selling or an interest in preserving his ability to make a start for another team, perhaps, you know, giving them one extra start they're paying for, you know, that sometimes factors into what a team is acquiring, you know, whether they're acquiring 12 starts or 13, uh, whether a team is trying to put a dent in a division lead or 
get ready to kind of angle their approach for the postseason and you know getting as many arms as possible. Like there are a lot of values to those one or two extra starts, so it makes sense to try to preserve them as much as possible. Um, I think you also mentioned in your in your radio spot that uh, given how Rick Hahn has struggled to pull the trigger on trades or find suitors, find packages to his liking, what have you, whatever gets in the way of him actually making deals. And I wrote about this too on Sox Machine, just noting like how he struggled to pull off any trade that is not directly related to either a trade deadline or a DFA or a roster crunch because of uh, you know player being out of options or something like that. Like all, you know, most of his trades over the last two and a half years have been forced by just circumstances, time pressures on the roster. And that seems like the only way he can make a trade. And theoretically he doesn't have to trade Giolito. I mean, he pretty much has to, but like there's the ability to offer him the qualifying offer and get a draft pick for him. So he doesn't have to, so I'm of the mindset that if he need like if he needs a run up to the deadline, if he can't operate on short notice, if he's not um, you know cavalier enough or like Jerry Depoto enough to like have a memory of like okay what trades next you know the trade didn't work out okay let's just you know make five more and we'll forget about the one that didn't work uh, if he doesn't have the mindset then he probably needs as much time as possible to line up everything just so to make that deal so yeah he may as well think they trade now because of history is in an indication it's going to be days, you know, maybe a week or so until he finds actually a, a deal that he feels comfortable doing. Um, and, you know, part of it is history. Like he's had some bad trades, but when you make so few trades, it just makes it easier to dwell on the bad trades. Like, you know, Samarja, uh, Shields, you know, Tatis, et cetera. Like, you know, bringing up those names, even though they're uh, pretty much vestiges of, a past team, a past organization, pre-second rebuild that don't really apply to this set of circumstances. Yeah, Lawrence asked me that question during the radio segment. Does timing matter? And I don't know if timing does matter. Like, to your point, Jim, roster deadline. Like, you are facing a crunch. You got 27 guys in your roster, and first pitch is at 7, 10 p.m. Central Time. Yeah, I got to make a trade. Right, I gotta reduce. I, I gotta move somebody off this roster. I don't know if the trade deadline itself is going to spur action from Rickon. I'm wondering if his thought process is going to be: I'm going to wait until I get the best possible deal for Lucas Giolito. And we'll talk about Lucas Giolito more in depth in a moment here because there is a pretty significant trade rumor and one potential suitor that I think makes a lot of sense that we'll talk about in a moment. But as far as this topic, like when can we see the White Sox make some deals? I pointed out five pitchers that the White Sox could unload before the deadline. And just the pace that Rick Hahn works at, yeah, unless he suddenly is a multitasker, which we haven't seen that type of action from him before. Yeah, he's got he doesn't have a lot of time to try to dump five pitchers that I think other teams are interested in, and those are Lucas Giolito, Keenan Middleton because he's an unrestricted free agent after this season. Then you have the guys with the $1 million contract uh, buyouts after this season and Joe Kelly, even though he's on the injured list right now, and Lance Lynn. And then you got Kendall Graveman, which he's guaranteed $8 million next year. Uh, but that's not a lot of money uh, these days for someone that a team could potentially look at as their closer. 
Those are the five pitchers that I think Rick Hahn can move before the end of the trade deadline. And if he mm -hmm. waits until the very end to move all five, I don't think he's going to be able to move all five. He may be able just to move one. And then White Sox fans are going to be like, what's going on here? Like, why can't you unload all these players before the deadline and try to help restock the farm system to maybe entertain the idea of reloading in 2024? So as far as timing, like, does it work to trade Lucas Giolito this weekend or before his next start? Does it w work or in the most favor for the White Sox before the trade deadline? I don't think the trade deadline is going to spur action for Rick Hahn. I think the only way it's going to spur action for Rick Hahn is if his price is met for Lucas Giolito. But as you laid out in the column, if teams don't want to meet Rick Hahn's price in the recent history, he doesn't move them. But I feel like he can't afford to not move these guys. Like, it doesn't make much sense holding on to them. Well, he can't afford, you know, that's one thing is like, you know, the draft pick is not worth that much. A little more money in the draft pool. So, like, as we saw with the George Wolkow pick, like, it affords uh, Mike Shirley to pick somebody like him, like some kind of high um, ceiling prep pick that might not be available with a normal budget. But I mean, like, I think my concern with Giolito is like you have some pitchers on the market. You mentioned Blake Snell. There's also Jordan Montgomery if he's healthy. There's Marcus Stroman. There are some guys who are maybe as good as Giolito, maybe better than Giolito, like within the range. You're offering the same thing that Giolito's offering right now, which is like starting game three, maybe game two of a postseason, depending on the pitching staff, how deep the bullpen is, et cetera. And if the Cubs say like, oh, we're not going to keep Stroman or we're just going to take our chances and try to sign him in the offseason. Like maybe perhaps they just trade him, uh, you know, beat uh, the White Sox to the punch. And all of a sudden the team that needs that starter has Stroman. And now the price for Giolito has to come down because the demand isn't there. So right. uh, he's not operating in a vacuum here, especially if more teams. You mentioned, you know, the Padres could be another one that just decides to sell. And, you know, Blake Snell would be one of them. Uh, that, you know, they could flood the market, like A.J. Preller, very active. You know, so he might be able to just jump Rick Hahn uh, based on just how quickly he gets things done, even when it doesn't seem like there's a fit for a certain player. Like, the, you know, the, the ongoing joke I had in the offseason about, like, how many spots do the Padres have in their 40-man roster? Because I know everybody <laughs> on there. Like, you know, they, they seem to have 50 on 40. Um, yeah, that's the way Preller operates. So, like, if he gets involved, uh, you know, Mose Moseliak for St. Louis has said they're going to be selling. Just a matter of, like, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's going to be guys who are not going to be back in 2024 regardless or just ones they're, you know, think they can cash in on. So there are some teams that have shown the ability to be active in a way the White Sox aren't that are just kind of lurking there. And so that's why, you know, the perfect price for Lucas Giolito probably doesn't exist with the number of pitchers you can get who are similar in his neighborhood of just being very good starters who might not be counted on to dominate in October. More conversation about what the White Sox could be possibly selling in their strategy before the trade deadline after a quick word from our sponsor. One reason why I hate buying tickets to anything these days is the waiting room you know that feeling you get the pre-sale code and even if you got the pre-sale code and you log in you're stuck in the waiting room with thousands of other people not even sure if you're going to get a chance to buy tickets buying tickets to 
any event shouldn't be stressful and that's why I've switched and used game time it's the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports music comedy and theater shows near you I use it to buy concert and theater tickets now for Chicago events you could use it it's also great for Major League Baseball games as well they have some killer deals especially when it comes to White Sox tickets as game time is the place for last minute ticket deals forget planning months in advance GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event, and you can get exclusive flash deals on tickets for the baseball games or any of the comedy and theater shows that'll be happening all summer long in Chicago. And what I really like about GameTime is that they have the GameTime guarantee, which means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why it's one of the fastest growing ticketing apps in the country for a reason. So snag the tickets without stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app on your phone, either for Apple or Android devices. Create an account and use promo code SOXMACHINE for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account on GameTime and redeem code SOXMACHINE for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And listen, it's a very delicate balance because I understand the White Sox fans that are stressing patience here. You want to get the best deal possible. And I totally understand that. But to your point, Jim... There is a risk of waiting too long to get better pitchers. Like, no offense to Lucas Giolito. I really like Lucas Giolito, and I think he could help a contending team. But, man, if I'm a contending team and Shohei Otani appears in the trade market, if Blake Snell appears in the trade market, like, I'm sorry, Giolito. Those guys are one and two, and now you're number three. So right now, on July 13th, Lucas Giolito is the best starting pitcher available in the trade market. Is that going to be the case at the end of the month? I don't know, and probably not, uh, depending on how the Angels and Padres continue to play here, as both teams are really struggling, and they're in this downward spiral, and especially for the Angels, since they don't have Mike Trout for the rest of this month, he's not going to be back until sometime in August, and they've lost 13 of their last 17 games, so this is where it's a delicate balance here. It's a balance that Rick (laughs) just hasn't been able to capitalize and try to help build a contending team. So maybe mm-hmm. going back to what is a familiar stance for him, selling at the deadline uh, like he did during the rebuild years, maybe he'll be able to capitalize uh, on a potential deal. But Jim and I both agree 
Uh, even though it's a bit heartbreaking, we weren't expecting this, or at least we were hoping that this time wouldn't come. The time has come. The post-All-Star break in the next couple of weeks, it's going to be focusing on selling time, which means that Jim and I have to be on standby in case the White Sox do making these trades for the emergency podcast. Uh, one thing I think that is influencing some of the decision-making, we got this comment from Matt during the YouTube stream, uh, which, by the way, if you're listening to the podcast version of this, the audio version, we do stream this show on YouTube.com slash Machine, And when we do stream it live, it gives people the opportunity to post comments and questions during the show. And Matt posted this comment. John Greenberg sent The Athletic that he expects White Sox payroll will be up to $50 million less next year, Rebuild 3.0. And to Matt's question slash comment and what John Greenberg wrote in The Athletic, and I recommend if you didn't get a chance to read his column, we'll have that link within the post and SoxMachine.com. The White Sox are bleeding fan attendance, Jim which Mm -hmm. is hilarious because during the all-star break, major league baseball is bragging through their communications and PR department about how in-game fan attendance is growing league wide and getting younger and getting younger. The median age is now 43. The white Sox are down 4,000 fans per game at home per game at home. And that may grow to 5,000 per game compared to last year after the trade deadline. What is the significance of that? Now think about mm-hmm. how much each fan spends on average per game that they attend a beer and a hot dog. Well, I guarantee Ray field. That's Two like bits. 20 bucks. Okay. For a, a beer and a hot dog. If you say that is the average fan concession, and 4,000 fans that you're losing. So what you're losing about $800,000 per home game that you were expecting. If you thought that attendance would stay the same from 2022, $800,000 fewer dollars per home game over the course of 81 home games. Yeah. Someone's going to be knocking on the door and being like, how are we going to make up for this loss of revenue? And this is the, now this is the business part that could be influencing some of the decision-making in which mm-hmm. someone above Rick Hahn, which is the board of directors saying this player payroll is way too high for how crummy a record is. We need to unload player payroll. And that could be a factor as well. Not so much as figuring out how can we reload for the 2024 season, but we need to look at the bottom line of the 2023 season. We're not liking where our numbers are. You need to unload player payroll. It would be like companies laying off employees to to make up the revenue gap. Yeah, a bad quarter basically is how they have bad to treat quarter. it. Yeah, or two bad quarters in a row. That's when you start start cutting. And yeah, I mean, uh, there you know to go to uh, into James Fox mode. Like you know, what's the point of winning games in the second half? Draft position, etc. And like while. I'm not a staunch believer in that, depending on like what the roster looks like. It is a case where like, you know what Tim Anderson can do if he's healthy. And that's if he stays, you know what Yohan Moncada can do if he's healthy. Like Luis Robert, we're seeing what he can do when he's healthy. Right. It's, I think there, I think there's value in Robert playing like as many games as possible, like building up that six month grind because he's never really been able to do that. Same thing with Kopech, like get his innings all the way up. There are some players who benefit from playing really well, or as well as possible over the course of six months, and you want to see him do that. But elsewhere on the roster, between like the rotation, 
like Mike Mayer's being picked up uh, to, you know, from the Royals, like Royals cast off uh, another one to just, you know, be a body who can throw innings and it doesn't really matter how, <laughs> just you know, how well they are. <laughs> just, it's about, you know, just not burning out the, the few relievers you like. Basically that's what you know, purpose he'll serve. Like, Lining up those arms just to absorb innings. They're kind of in that mode already, I think, of just acquiring bodies uh, just to get through the rest of the season. And I think, you know, enjoy Roberts. You know, if Lenin Sosa comes back, Oscar Colas, et cetera, like see what they can do. But there isn't a whole lot of hope to sell over the last two months after the deadline. There's just no real interesting September call-ups. Like Sosa's done it before. Colossus has done it before. Like, you know, these, they've already disappointed. There's no like new prospect smell that uh, we're normally custom seeing in uh, September. So it's going to be rough and it's going to be like, you know, I imagine uh, ratings are going to plummet. Attendance is already going to you know continue to slink further down and down. So like there's no real optimism for the remainder of 2023 to like hook revenue on. So it does make sense to cut as much as possible. And with the consolation prize that at least draft position will be bolstered a little bit. Maybe they get lucky in the lottery and all of a sudden they're, you know, having a little bit more of a boost when it comes to next year. But this year that that's, I think what's, what's so tricky is that there's just nothing going in the second half aside from like Luis Roberts, you know, maybe Shohei Otani gets traded to the national league and uh, Roberts MVP candidates. Yeah. Yeah. It gets a little bit of a boost. Who knows? Um, that's a thing what we're looking at here. Yeah, if ratings crash, I think that's going to play a huge factor in what Comcast wants to do after the 2024 season because that's another thing to think about is that the White Sox current television deal expires in October of 2024. And Comcast, according to Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, is paying about... Seven hundred thousand uh, dollars, which is like a hundred million dollars over the course of the season, mm-hmm. they ain't making a hundred million dollars in ad revenue uh, or cable subscription fees as well. Yeah, uh, for, for the White Sox, like it, it, they're not making that. That, that's they're they're losing money. So I don't think, as we have learned, regional sports networks either cannot afford to lose money or b don't want to lose money anymore. Uh, so that could also add a lot of stress into mm-hmm. how the White Sox handle their business. And I know this is business talk for the White Sox, but the business is also going to impact what type of roster the White Sox have and what decision-making that they have. And we talked about this before the season. Rick Khan's not very good at managing money and spending money. And here are the consequences when you do not feel the t- a good team and you got a bloated payroll it adds a lot of stress in other areas of the business, and those people have very loud voices, and they will force baseball operations to make some cuts that they do not want to make. Yeah, especially when it comes to the roster the White Sox have and like how it seems like the White Sox value uh, relievers and value like first baseman DHs more than any other team. So they have a lot of what other teams don't want it becomes a little bit like a baseball outlet store a little bit like you know just here's all our extras we're just shipping off trying to sell at a discount like you want gavin sheets like he can kind of stand at first base and uh, doesn't have terrible at bats with the bases loaded how about that like that's really what they're trying to sell here so it's not it's not looking good the chicago white Sox are the dsw shoes of major league baseball <laughs> yeah flickering oh. fluorescent lights yeah Oh, man. All right. So let's talk about a particular trade rumor as uh, John Morosi 
of uh, various outlets uh, reported that the Dodgers are currently interested in Lucas Giolito. And let's call this, as I've said this in the past, informed speculation. Prior to Joe Kelly going on the injured list, I was told by a Dodger source that the Dodgers were interested in Joe Kelly, but they were looking at a package deal. And they have a ton of interest in Liam Hendricks, but Liam Hendricks is obviously not available. There was some interest a few weeks ago in the Dodgers for Lucas Giolito. In those few weeks, things have changed again on the starting pitching front for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Then Clayton Kershaw was healthy. Now Clayton Kershaw is not healthy. And it's amazing to me and where the Dodgers are in the National League West gym with all of the issues that they have at starting pitching. I mean, they're tied with the Arizona Diamondbacks right now for first place in the National League West. And it just seems like their starting pitching rotation is bound together by duct tape. And at any mm -hmm. point, it could all break apart. So they could really use someone like Lucas Giolito to help solidify the starting rotation until Clayton Kershaw comes back. And they're obviously thinking postseason. So here, Giolito has postseason experience. He had that outstanding start in 2020 at Oakland uh, during the, the COVID shortened year. I understand the thought process and the interest here from the Los Angeles Dodgers. What are your thoughts about this particular trade rumor? Do you think that there's some fire that's blowing some smoke here coming out of Los Angeles? I think it makes some sense. Um, especially if he's like, say Giolito's a free agent after the year and they might have some interest in signing him depending on, imagine they're lining all their ducks in, in a row for Otani and seeing what happens there. Yes. But like Giolito somebody who could maybe they, are interested in as well, or as like a fallback in the event that uh, Otani doesn't work out. Although it's hard to imagine like the, the Dodgers whiffing on them if they've taken this year to, you know, try to reset some of the payroll and, um, you know, normally the Dodgers don't do that. So I think it takes very special circumstances for the Dodgers to not quite punt a year by their standards, but at least uh, lower the ambitions of their immediate roster in the hopes of getting something bigger. But when you look at their top prospect list too, I mean, like they have multiples of guys, they have pitchers, they can afford to trade. They have multiples of catchers. Like uh, I think, you know, my qualms with trading with the Dodgers is sometimes like I'm thinking like Cabert Ruiz, who hasn't really done much. And like, he was the hot commodity when the nationals traded for him. Like, they are great at generating prospects, but sometimes I wonder if they're like they're great at generating prospects who don't quite materialize because maybe their system is so good or their prep, you know, the, the player development tools they have or the people they have on hand just don't translate to a lesser organization with that that doesn't have as much invested in personnel and technology as the White Sox might. So, I mean, that's really my reservation, but like you look at like a second catcher on their list is Dalton rushing, who is like a, on fan graphs, I was looking it up. He's a 45 feature value, which puts him on like Colossus tier for where he might rank on a prospect list on the White Sox, like three to six, you know, him and a pitcher seems like fairish value for G Lito, like not bad, especially given how little the White Sox have in the catching ranks. Like they have guys, I think you can mix and match and the Dodgers wouldn't feel especially precious about to where they make some sense and where the White Sox could say like, yeah, we don't have anybody in the catching ranks as good as Dalton rushing, or we don't have anybody in the pitching ranks as good as like, you know, I'm not sure if Pepiot's good or like, you know, Gavin Stone, et cetera, like even below them, like the White Sox are so pitching thin that probably you're looking at like, 
five, six, seven Dodgers pitching prospects who might be uh, the best functional pitching prospect the White Sox would have outside of like Noah Schultz, who is very far away and doesn't have the workload right. built. So yeah, there are a lot of ways the Dodgers could could help. I would just wonder if like if you're trading for like the middle of the Dodgers system, uh, will they survive the transplant to an organization that just doesn't have that much invested in player development overall? So the Dodgers' number one prospect is catcher Diego Cartea, and you mentioned Dal Rushing. Based on this source, and this brings back Yohan Makata, Rafael Devers' memories. They believe mm-hmm. the Dodgers value Dolan rushing more than Cartea. So back mm-hmm. to your point of beware of trading with the Dodgers because you may think this is a top prospect, surefire guy to reach the major leagues. They join your farm system, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a second, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. And Cartea this year, he's young. He's 21 years old. He's in double A, but boy, he's really struggling in double A. Uh, he's currently batting 203, 288 on base percentage and slugging just 375. He's struck out at least 27% in every level so far. So he's a big strikeout guy, but he's also a pretty significant walk guy, walking at a better than 13% clip. Before this season, though, he's walking around an 8% clip right now in double A. So that's almost a, a complete half drop from last year. Uh, again, though, he's young. He's 21. That's young for the level, but he's the number one prospect. Speaking with Jim Callis, he may not be the Dodgers' number one prospect the next time they update the system. He's currently the 21st-ranked prospect in the top 100. He's probably not going to be in the top 25 the next time LOB.com updates their top 100 list. That's how poor of a season Cartea is still having. He'll still be in the top 100 but he may be someone available and, and we, it's not pretty numbers in double a. And do I have mm-hmm. confidence that the white Sox can fix him? I don't know. Probably not. I may not have a lot of confidence in the white Sox player development, but that's to your point. Like if the white Sox can get Diego Corteo, people are like, yes, Rick Hahn, you did it. Good job. You got the number one prospect from the Dodgers for three months in Lucas Giolito. And then Cartea comes to Birmingham and he's got a 565 OPS and everyone's going to be like, what the heck happened here? So I, I'm glad you bring that point up because, yes, that does happen often when teams are making deals with Los Angeles Dodgers. Suddenly, when they join other systems, they become lemons. But if they stay with the Dodgers, they become useful starters. <laughs> yeah, so at least Cartea they, they can know throw. What they're doing. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I like about Cartea is at least he can throw. Yes. Um, to where like if his offensive value, you know, um, kind of erodes or at least, you know, plateaus pretty low, he, at least he provides defense, can be at least one of two catchers on your 26-man roster, assuming like the, the bottom doesn't completely fall out. I think for any trade with Giolito, you obviously want the best prospects possible. But if you have to choose, I almost feel like it's got to be a deal that involves the best double a double and or triple a pitcher. That's really close to the majors, Jim. Like that's how I feel. And I could be wrong about mm-hmm. this particular angle. And we talked about this in 2024, you got two pitchers on guaranteed contracts for the white Sox. If you're at a deal Giolito, I would want the white Sox to bring somebody back. 
that can maybe be part of the discussion, realistically part of the discussion, to start some games in 2024. Because if you're going to be mm-hmm. cutting payroll, I just don't think you have enough available payroll to build a another starting rotation, even if your team is going to be terrible, to get through the 2024 season. It, again, if I had the choice between multiple offerings from multiple teams about Lucas Giolito, I would like the White Sox to go in a direction where it brings back the best possible AAA, AA pitcher that can maybe be part of the equation in 2024. But again, you got to take the best deal possible when it comes to prospects. Whoever is the most talented, whatever team's giving you the most talent, you, you should be taking that deal. But if everything was even, I would like the White Sox to focus on trying to replace Giolito with another pitcher, if that makes sense. No, I get you. And... Yeah, I think that's really the biggest obstacle for the White Sox competing in 2024 is just if they get rid of all their pitchers, Lance Lynn gets traded, his option, even if overpriced, isn't a isn't available as somebody who might have some upside to fill a um in in rosters a rotation spot with innings, uh, which you know you can't count on like say like say let's say if Davis Martin were somehow healthy and fully functional in April, like he wouldn't be able to provide Starts and innings the way that Lynn would. But, like, if Lynn's traded, then he's not a factor, even if he's overpriced for one year. And as we've seen with the White Sox, and not not just the White Sox, but, like, one-year deals for pitchers, like, that's a crapshoot. Like, Mike Clevenger's been okay. Um, And and really the season that he had in the first half is about as good as you can hope for from those one-year contract guys because – they would sign one-year contracts for a reason. So if you're looking to, to piecemeal together a rotation, that's probably going to be a pretty pretty gruesome ending. So, yeah, I would like to see pitching depth built up, especially since Martin's out. Who knows what's happening to Sean Burke? Not a whole lot of life there. Christian Mena has been struggling uh, mm-hmm. you know, over the last month or so. And they're messing with the baseball again in A, so it's hard to figure yeah. out what's actually going on. Yep. So it's – yeah, I agree with you. Like, pitching would be nice, and I think the Dodgers are a system that, like – has a lot of interesting pitchers. And also it seems like they're a little bit of a case where if you remember the White Sox with Daniel Hudson, when they traded him for Mm -hmm. Edwin Jackson, like Hudson was a good pitcher. He just did not get a chance to audition with the White Sox. He did not get a chance to fail and go back to triple a, or at least, you know, just have two bad months in the majors, but eventually figure it out. Like they did not have that kind of time. They traded him for Edwin Jackson. Hudson had one good year with the diamondbacks as a starter and then got hurt. But I think the Dodgers are in a similar position. Like Gavin Stone's been up and down a little bit. Bobby Miller has been up. I think he's going to be sticking. But other guys don't really have that ability to struggle. So I'm hoping that the White Sox, in a trade with a team like the Dodgers, could take advantage of that. They have a lot of arms, but they also can't afford to have, like, seven bad starts from a guy, especially if they have other pitchers who can come up and take that guy's place. So maybe, you know, their surplus of interesting arms that are unproven and might not be ready for a pennant race could fall into the White Sox uh, lap a little bit and just t- here's an opportunity to uh, get starts, throw four innings. Uh, if you throw three and a third and get knocked out, uh, next starts five days away. No pressure, no stakes. Uh, just the experience is what counts. So we got this question from the YouTube live chat from Brian O'Connor. And Brian asks, if you had to guess, will Tim Anderson get packaged at the deadline? Or will the White Sox just hold on to him at this point? And Brian, this is a great segue to our next conversation, the post-All-Star break stories we are following. 
This is my number one story that I'm following for the White Sox post all And I don't mean to make you cry, and I don't make anyone that's watching the live stream or listening to the podcast feed cringe. But if you missed my segment on 670 score, for the batters that are currently qualified for the batting title, Tim Anderson has a negative 1.1 war, according to Fangraphs. He is the third worst position player in Major League Baseball, only Enrique Hernandez of the Boston Red Sox and Jerks and Profar of the Colorado Rockies are worse than Tim Anderson. Out of the qualified hitters for the batting title, Tim Anderson has a 43 weighted runs created plus, which means he's 57% below league average. He is the worst hitter in Major League Baseball that qualifies for the batting title by 18%. To answer your question, Brian, I can't imagine any team wanting Tim Anderson right now. And, you know, it's funny, Chuck Garfine mentioned that he sees vultures in the last post-game show that NBC Sports Chicago had. I can see opposing GMs being vultures after this season ends, circling what are the White Sox going to do with Tim Anderson? Because Lawrence Holmes posed this question to me, would the White Sox buy out Tim Anderson, not pick up the club option? If he continues, and this is why he's the number one story for me post-All-Star break, if Tim Anderson does not improve from these numbers, Jim, I think that's a serious conversation after the season. And maybe a team is circling, and they're not going to give Tim Anderson a lot of money by any stretch of the imagination, but a bounce-back deal? Sure. But trading him before the deadline? If it were to happen, honestly, I would be floored. I'd be really shocked. I don't think any Major League Baseball team would be giving something of value to acquire Tim Anderson with how he's performed. Did that make sense, Jim? Yeah. I mean, he seems like, let's say the Dodgers were a popular destination for Anderson. As soon as basically Gavin Lux got hurt, uh, there was talk mm-hmm. about like, well, the White Sox are out of it. They would want Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson would love to be in Los Angeles and have that kind of attention. And I could see maybe the Dodgers trading for him, but not with like immediate ambitions, more like here's a distressed asset. Um, you know, if we have to buy him out after the season, no big deal. Let's see if we can, you know, get him for, you know, 20% of what he would have commanded going into the year or, um, you know, packaged with another like Joe Kelly or something like that. Just you know, a, a way to just uh, get somebody else they want more for cheaper with the money being saved. And I think if Anderson were traded, that I think would speak to the amount of money they're looking to cut just because if the White Sox are truly rebuilding or not even rebuilding so much because that implies like a teardown, but just like looking to just have payroll melt off the books. And by the time the payroll is cleared, they hopefully have another, you know, maybe Colson Montgomery is ready. Maybe Brian Ramos is ready or whatever prospects they acquire in trades are ready to uh, provide the remainder of the core, a different supporting group. Um, it could be a case where like, yeah, it makes sense to have Anderson just for one more year or at least, you know, another off season, another trading period to see like if they can get a better deal. Like if no team wants to add Anderson now, maybe a team will want to add Anderson over the winter when they don't have to pay, you know, 5 million for a bad shortstop or shortstop who's playing like a bad shortstop and can't be counted on to turn it around with a different team and a change of scenery. So like they're looking at the same thing with Liam Hendricks with his option, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, 10, 
10 years of uh, payments if they don't pick it up. And, you know, that's another case to where like they could just say like, eh, let's pick it up because we'll rather just pay this money now uh, rather than have 1.5 million gum up the books down the road when we're actually going to have to be counting every dollar. Like I'm hoping next year is, you know, they're going to be cutting payroll, but maybe not to the extent that they have to cut every single dollar in order to try to recoup some value. Like if Anderson has a good couple months next year, he'll probably get more even with him being an impending free agent than he would in his current shape. Uh, same thing with the off season too. Like if he shows signs of life at the end of September, uh, I can imagine teams would want to be um, maybe interested in what they could uh, acquire for one full year of him with the ability to give him a uh, qualifying offer afterwards. Like there are more attractive trading windows I think, for the white Sox than selling them now, unless they really want to save every million dollars possible or they just think Anderson's toast, which I don't think is enough reason to believe right now based on the knee in injury he suffered and the off-field stuff he's going through. And I think also some you know mechanical issues that are just resulting in the line drives to right field and pulled everything on the ground to the left side. Uh, I think he can recover some of that. And so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to trade him now from a baseball reason, I don't think. Quickly for me, the rest of the host all-star break stories I'm following. Luis Robert chasing 40-40, season 40 doubles, 40 home runs. He's currently at 26 homers, 23 doubles. We haven't seen a 40-40 season since Frank Thomas back in the 2000 season. Only two White Sox hitters have ever done it, Albert Bell in 1998 and Thomas in 2000. Uh, is Oscar Colas someone? That's something I'm going to be paying attention to. And my last one is Yoan Makata alive. I need proof of life at some point in August and September <laughs> that Yoan Makata is alive because that man is going to get a healthy pay raise next season in which Makata has a guaranteed contract of $24.5 million. And before any of you ask, even if you're listening in the car, no, I don't see the White Sox trading Yoan Makata at that rate. Jim, how about you? What's a post-All-Star break story that you're going to be following? I think, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Oscar Colas, I'd expand that, or I'd expand that to second base and right field to see, like, if by the end of the season, do they have, like, Lenin Sosa or Jose Rodriguez or somebody looking possible for the right side, assuming Tim Anderson's a traded and they need somebody at the left side, too. Like, and Oscar Colas in right field, like, is he somebody? Michael Kopech, like, do we finally learn whether he can survive five to six months as a starter, or is it going to be like touch and go for the remainder of the season, the, the last two and a half months? Um, yeah, I guess it's like Liam Hendricks, see what comes of him, you know, see if he's able to get back on the field at all. Um, and then after that, it gets pretty thin. <laughs> like it just, you know, even like Andrew Vaughn, not terribly exciting. I don't think, you know, I think he can show better, but also I don't, I think he's naturally limited to, in terms of like how much value he can provide. So like if he gets 25, 30 homers, that's cool. You know, if he gets to hundred RBIs, like that's neat, but also like just with his limitations as a base runner and defender, uh, just not going to be somebody who's terribly special. Eloy Jimenez, uh, you know, can he put together like a, a good half, even if it's like another guy to possibly trade. You know, like that's, I, I would look at him as a, somebody who's not part of the core necessarily, but is probably not worth trading right now because of just, he has to show more, I think, in order to capitalize yeah. on what he could potentially be worth. I That's a good point, Jim. I wouldn't trade Eloy right now. However, if he ends this post-All-Star break strong, and maybe gets to like 25 home runs hit this season, 
I think you can muster up more interest in the offseason to trade Eloy Jimenez. Maybe something like a winter meetings type of deal uh, that the White Sox have done in the past. So, yeah, I agree to your point. I, I don't think Eloy's value is all that great right now, but it could increase, especially if he could stay healthy and he hits post-All-Star break. So that's a really good point, Jim. All right, so let's talk about the games. The Chicago White Sox this weekend start – not a very fun road trip. We talked about this at the beginning of the season. We circled this post-All-Star break road trip that it's going to be very tough for the White Sox. And it starts in Atlanta. The Atlanta Braves are the best team <laughs> in Major League Baseball right now. They're 30-15 and 15 in home games. They have the number one offense in baseball in Team OPS. As a team, they have an 831 OPS. And they lead the league in home runs. They have hit 169 home runs this season. They are averaging 1.89 home runs per game. At home, they hit better. At home, they're hitting 846 OPS as a team. And as a team, they are slugging 502 <laughs> as a mm -hmm. team at home. And they average 5.7 runs per game at home. So this is a very tough test offensively for the White Sox pitchers. And, oh, by the way, the Atlanta Braves team ERA is 3.63. That is also the best in Major League Baseball. It's not often that we see the best offense, the best pitching staff together at some point during the season. But these are the brave souls for the White Sox are going to try to take on the Atlanta Braves Friday at 6.20 p.m. Central Time. Hey, look at that. It's Michael Kopech. Maybe that shoulder is not as hurt as we thought, so that is good news. Lance Lynn will take the ball on Saturday at 6.15 p.m. Central Time. Charlie Morton's going to start the game on Friday opposing Kopech. Spencer Strider is going to start the Saturday game, Quadzilla. And uh, he is having a fantastic season. I think he's a contender for the National League Cy Young. And then on Sunday, it's Colby Allard for the Atlanta Braves, the lefty. And at 12.35 p.m. Central Time, it will be Dylan Cease for the White Sox making that start on Sunday. Again, like I said, these are the brave souls for the White Sox pitching staff to try to take on the Atlanta Braves. And Jim, the only thing I request to White Sox this weekend is that in April, the White Sox got swept in Toronto, losing all three games by a combined score 20 to 2. I'm hoping they fare better this weekend. <laughs> Yeah, I feel good about my Braves uh, preseason World Series pick. Like that's yeah, great feeling pick, pretty good right awesome. now. Um, looking at their uh, stats, looking at their just how their team is built. Um, even like Austin Riley's had like a little bit of a down season. Like Michael Harris hasn't quite been like uh, you know made the jump yet on his contract extensions. But like they're both like you know, Riley's a third baseman, Harris is a center fielder. Like they both provide like all around value to where like. The roster works really well. And even if they're like, you know, decent bats rather than great bats, like it all fits together. And right now they have 11 guys who have uh, more than 100 plate appearances and have an OPS above 700. Uh, more bats than spots. The White Sox have yeah. five. And one of them is Andrew Benintendi with one homer at 716 OPS, like, you know, barely getting over and that's kind of what we're looking at right you know, like studies in contrast the white Sox extending guys but you know either extending the wrong guys or just not having the healthy guys or not having enough uh 
versatility defensively to like feel like they, they're providing value like especially like Eloy Jimenez like when he's not hitting he's not doing anything um whereas like the Braves like one extension after another and they're all working some are working fantastically uh some are working you know decently but they're all functioning to like build the Braves like into a better team and I'm really looking forward to watching the Braves. Like I'm looking forward to watching Ronald Acuna uh, Jr. Like looking to see like what kind of pace he's like on an Eric Davis 1980s pace of like homers and stolen bases. And yeah, you know, I remember I vaguely remember Eric Davis, but I remember him as like a baseball card more than a player because like the the highlights yeah. weren't as available. And I just remember like how like I remember watching Ricky Henderson and knowing what the stolen bases look like. And I remember seeing like the homers, what they look like, but seeing them both come from one player and being like, how is it possible to like go 30, 60 and like Acuna can do that. So I'm looking forward to seeing like one, if he gets on base, you know, how much he runs on the white Sox pitching staff and you know, how many stolen bases he'll, he'll amass. But uh, yeah, there's value in watching like good baseball teams against the white Sox, even if it is a matter of just, uh, you know, the score is unpleasant, but at least you realize like, oh yeah, this is how a team should function. And this is how a team capitalizes on success rather than like has one good year and then uh, does nothing and watches it fritter away. Shohei Otani deserves a lot of attention for what he is doing this season. It is one of the best baseball seasons ever. I haven't went to StatHead to look this up, but is there anyone that comes off the top of your mind that had 40 or more doubles, 40 or more home runs, and 60-plus stolen bases in a season? Because right now, that is what Ronald Acuna Jr. is on pace to do in 2023. Yeah, I can't. Like, Eric Davis is the one guy, and let me look up his best season. Did Jose Canseco get anywhere close to that? He had 40-40. Like, he topped it at 42 homers and 40 stolen bases, I think. And okay. I probably, he probably got caught stealing, like, 30 times. <laughs> I know Jose would want to run <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, Eric but, Davis, like, you know, he didn't have the games. That was the thing about Davis is, like, I don't know if it's Riverfront Stadium. But, like, he never played more than 135 games in a season. But, like, his 86 was 27 homers, 15 doubles, 80 stolen bases. 87, uh was 37 homers, 50 stolen bases, 23 doubles, but only in 129 games. Wow. So, and let me look up what that was in wins above replacement. Yeah, so eight wins above replacement in 130 games. Damn. Damn. Yeah, again, Otani having a fantastic season. We may be seeing two historical seasons in the MVPs this year, in the American and National League. And, Again, I'm not trying to diminish what Otani's doing. It is one of the best seasons ever in baseball history. But man, if Ronald Acuna gets to 40 plus doubles and 40 plus home runs, and he ends up with like 70 stolen bases, like that's up there too offensively at the very least. Obviously, he doesn't pitch, but it's offensively one of the best seasons in our lifetime. I mean, yeah. I have to do some research on how many guys have done that in the past. Maybe nobody ever has. And Acuna is on pace to, to make some history himself. Yeah. Barry Bonds is the other one I thought of, but uh, because he drew so many walks at all points in his career, like he doesn't quite have the hits, but like in 1990, he went 33 homers, 32 doubles, 52 stolen bases. 93 was 46 homers, 38 doubles, 29 stolen bases. So basically like, Bonds at his fastest did not quite have the power he showed later. Um, 
Acuna is like basically has everything going at one point. Sure does. It, it just like Luis Robert, we, we've been waiting for Acuna to stay healthy. Injuries have nagged him, and and this is it. This is his full form, his full potential. And man, what a amazing baseball player he is, and just how he makes the Atlanta Braves so much more dangerous. And Get a chance to watch him this weekend against the, the White Sox pitching staff. So Michael Kopech, Lance Lynn, and Dylan Cease, good luck, guys. <laughs> Atlanta, uh, you got a tough test. The last thing I want to touch on, the 2024 Major League Baseball schedule was released today. It gets released earlier and earlier. If this is going to be a new thing during the All-Star break, I'm all for it as we like to plan big things as far as fan meetups, especially when the White Sox go on the road. And looking at the 2024 MLB schedule, we can tell you now that there's going to be two meetups next season. The first meetup is going to be in Milwaukee. So if you remember in 2021, we had a big tailgate. We thought 200 people were going to be coming. It ended up being 400 people that ended up coming uh, for the Brewers White Sox. And uh, that tailgate is going to be Saturday, June 1st, 2024. That series, the White Sox are in Milwaukee for the weekend Friday, May 31st, Saturday, June 1st, and Sunday, June 2nd. So I know some of us will be in Milwaukee all weekend long because it's a short drive. And hotel rooms are pretty affordable. So something to consider. If you are already making plans and you hear this, like, yes, I missed it last time, but I will not miss it in 2024. Go ahead and book a hotel room, stay overnight Saturday night, make it a lot easier for yourself. I, I can't imagine driving to Milwaukee, hang out with us to the tailgate, go to the game, and driving back to Chicago. I don't think that's feasible. I wouldn't recommend it. But again, if you're looking ahead, Saturday, June 1st, 2024, we're going to be hosting a tailgate along with our friends from the 108 and also inviting new friends as well. The bums who do a great job in Lot B, uh, hosting tailgates this year at White Sox games, we've asked them to help out because, uh, yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of people that are going to be coming to Milwaukee. We're going to be prepared, more prepared than we were last time. Still, it was a great time though last time we did it. So there you go. Yeah, we, That's the first one. We need a lot of loaves and fishes, basically. Yeah, ice. Also, everyone <laughs> bring ice. And the second one, well, we have a little bit of a video for the podcast listeners. You'll miss out. You have to go to youtube.com slash slacks machine. But for those watching a live stream, here's the announcement for the big meetup in 2024. Yes, Kansas City. Finally. We are coming. We finally got a Kansas City weekend, Jim. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, we've been wanting to do it for a while, like, you know, between just the ample parking lots, the reason, you know, reasonably priced tickets, thanks to the Royals <laughs> issues creating demand. Uh, you had the Negro Leagues Museum there, like just a lot of uh, baseball uh, and, and baseball adjacent fun to be had. Um, again, you know, hotel, probably a lot of different areas to stay in to get the kind of accommodation prices you want should work out pretty well. Yes. Uh, so there's a, a lot of planning we're going to be doing, uh, events that will be happening over the weekend where Milwaukee is a tailgate. That's a Saturday thing. We'll see you on Saturday. If we run into you over the weekend, great. But Saturday is a tailgate. Kansas City, there'll be more involved. We'll have a big tailgate. We're going to try to do a tour also at the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. Jim knows the barbecue scene very well. Maybe we'll have some meetups uh, doing a little barbecue hopping or a little bar crawl as well. 
in Kansas City for some hashtag 108. That will be more involved. That is the big trip. So it's more than a calendar year away. It's the series after the All-Star break. So a year away from now and the same type of conversation we're having. Uh, looking, re- I'm looking forward to it. It's been on our short list for quite some time. And uh, we've got some exciting things planned for that weekend at Kansas City. So there you go. That's the two meetups in 2024. Milwaukee in early June and Kansas City in mid-July in 2024. So if you're already clearing your calendar to, to make some weekend trips, we hope that you pick these weekends as well to come hang out with us next year. And if you want to learn more about the 2024 MLB schedule release, you can go to SoxMachine.com as Jim has done a write-up to do a quick breakdown of how that schedule looks for the Chicago White Sox. Even though we don't know what kind of team the White Sox are going to have in 2024, honestly, we don't know what kind of team the White Sox are going to have in a couple of weeks. And that's what makes it exciting. So hang on with us. I expect some emergency podcasts between now and the end of the month as we capture all of the news coming in for the Chicago White Sox of what they do prior to the trade deadline. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. For those that are, go ahead, Jim, sorry. Actually, a couple of notes, like uh, Ted mentioned to, to follow up on the Acuna, the, the rarity of the season he's having. He did mention Alfonso Soriano in 2006. He's the one 40-40-40 guy. 46 homers, 41 doubles, 40, uh, 41 stolen bases. Wow. Uh, a couple other ones, I was looking did the stat head search. Uh, Larry Walker, 49 homers, 46 doubles, 33 stolen bases for the 97 Rockies course field, but like he was a very special talent at the time, Jeff Bagwell. I forgot he was that fast, but he had 43 homers, 40 uh, doubles and 31 stolen bases in 1997. Wow. I had no idea. It's the crouch. It throws you off. Yep. Uh, uh, Jose Canseco, uh, the 40-40 season, 42 homers, uh, 40 steals, but only 34 doubles. Same thing with A-Rod and his 40-40 season. 42 homers, 46 steals, 35 doubles. So, yeah, Alfonso Soriano is the one 40-40-40 guy. Wow. Well, I think Raul Acuna's got a shot to join Alfonso Soriano. So, great job, Ted. Great job, Jim, looking that up. And, yeah, that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. For those that are watching the live stream on youtube.com slash socks machine. I encourage you to go watch our friends from the 108. Their show starts at 8 p.m. Central time at youtube.com slash from the 108 as they continue the conversation about the Chicago White Sox going into this weekend. But that will do it for this episode of Socks Machine Live. If you just discovered SoxMachine.com and the podcast and the live show, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Socks Machine underscore Josh. We're also on Threads as well. Those are our Instagram handles. So you can follow us on Threads as well as that new social media outlet gets started. If you just watched the video, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Socks Machine and watch all of our videos. We always take the audio versions of Socks Machine live and upload it into our podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Socks Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. If you enjoy our work and want more, you can get more by becoming a Socks Machine Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Socks Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website and new Socks Machine swag. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Socks Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.